Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to uh, look into a couple of places. Uh, First of all, Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and then to 1 John in the New Testament. To 1 John chapter 2. I love these verses from uh, Solomon, Ecclesiastes 5, starting with verse 18. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. And then to 1 John chapter 2. Starting with verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. I remember uh, some time ago, I was going to a conference. And uh, part of the conference was going to be a a large banquet meal. Uh, The conference always had a big banquet uh, when people got together. And it was going to be a large banquet meal, and there was going to be a special celebration. Uh, And this conference uh, is a part of a ministry uh, situation where normally everybody dressed very casually. Uh, If I didn't wear jeans, I felt like I was overdressed, you know, uh, that, that kind of thing. Uh, A lot of people had t-shirts and things like that. So I planned accordingly. It wasn't something close to home. So I planned accordingly. Uh, And you can imagine my horror after I got there and found out that they were expecting for this banquet that people would be dressed up, you know, jacket and tie uh, kind of thing. Uh, And worse is I was going to be one of the presenters at the banquet. And here I was without you know, anything, just the normal genes and kind of thing. And so I was feeling this, this tension and this pressure, realizing that all these people were going to be dressed up, and here I was going to be in, actually in front of people, and I wouldn't be dressed up. And it just so happened uh, that I was out and uh, was in a shop, uh, and I, I found a jacket. Actually, it's a jacket that I sometimes wear uh, here at City Temple, I found this jacket and I thought, okay, well, that might match my jeans. And so I got the jacket uh, and things uh, and and had a shirt that kind of went with the jacket. uh, And so I was still a bit nervous, you know. And then you can imagine how I felt when I got to the banquet and discovered that I was probably almost overdressed at that point. Uh, I was one of the few people that had a jacket on 
uh, and uh, you, you kind of scratch your head. But I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of situation. Maybe not the exact situation, but a situation where you went to a group of people with a certain set of expectations in mind. You know, like I should dress this way, I should behave this way, uh, this is this kind of meeting or this kind of gathering, only to get there and discover that it's completely different than what you expected. And the kind of unease that you feel, and, and it actually can be quite painful. Do you know, studies have been done that have demonstrated that emotional social pain the pain that you have if somebody excludes you or doesn't talk to you or, uh, or uh, ghosts you or something like that, that that kind of social pain is just as real as physical pain. And in fact, they've also discovered that if you're experiencing social pain, that if you take a couple of Tylenol, it will help you just as much as Tylenol will help you eliminate physical pain. Isn't that kind of fascinating? Fascinating how we are created as human beings and what we're like as human beings and the idea that if somehow we are not conforming to social norms, it's very painful and very difficult. We've seen this more and more in recent days with uh, the rise of Twitter and social media. And how if somebody expresses an opinion on social media that's slightly different than the dominant opinion going on in the culture, that they will be bombarded with hatred and bullying uh, and exposure and insults. Uh, and many times when people experience that, they give into it. They give into it. <laughs> This kind of social pressure can actually control people and push people to do something differently than they know that they should do. That's why Paul says in, in, in Corinthians, he says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. There's a power, there's a dynamic that happens that is going on around us that is trying to control us. And one of the things I really love about City Temple is our heritage. City Temple was started as what's called a non-conformist church. I love that, non-conformist. It resonates with me, you know, because when I was growing up as a kid, I was really strange. I definitely was a non-conformist kid. When I was about 13, 14 years old, sometimes I would dress up in polyester leisure suits uh, to go to, to school. You know, kids don't do that. Uh, I sometimes would carry my guitar around and occasionally teachers would invite me to sing for their classes. I mean, you, you just don't normally do that kind of thing. Uh, I started uh, a Bible club an after-school Bible club, uh, which I only learned a number of years later that the principal of the school actually took a lot of flack for letting me do that. But it wasn't the norm kind of thing. So when, when I thought about coming to a non-conformist church, I loved that idea, you know, because City Temple was founded 
with the idea that, hey, we don't want to conform to a prayer book from the Church of England. We don't want some bishop to tell us who's going to be the minister here. We want to worship God according to the Bible and according to our own conscience. And it's like, wow, I love that. You know, I, I resonate with that heritage. But the problem is it's difficult to live within that heritage. It's difficult to be a nonconformist in the world around us. The pressure to conform is around us all the time, and the pressure to conform is one of the greatest pressures that we face in life. One of the greatest pressures from the way you dress, the way you look, the way you talk, the pressure to conform is tremendous. But this is what the Bible tells us. In the passage we looked at last week, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul tells us here that all people outside of Christ follow what he calls the course of this world. They follow the course or the pressure of the world. They live according to what some might call the spirit of the age. And it's really funny to me that people all around us think that they have freedom. You go to the average person on the street and you say, are you free? And they say, yeah, I'm free. I'm completely free. But it's amazing how all these free people constantly conform to the social pressures that are around them, even when they don't believe that it's the right thing to do. It shows us that people really are not free. That ultimately, people left to their own devices outside of Jesus Christ, ultimately, people will follow the force of what the Bible calls the world. The world. And a way to think of this idea of the world in the Bible is to think of it like a mighty river. Sometimes a river will run fast and tumultuously uh, with rapids, uh, and sometimes the river runs slow and deep, you know, like the Thames. It's slow and deep here in London. Uh, But the natural tendency of anybody in a river is to flow with the river and follow its course. If it's slow and deep, sometimes you think it's easier to resist, but it's not. It's very, very powerful. And when it's more shallow and rapid, it's still very difficult to resist. And I remember one time stepping into a river that wasn't very deep at all, but it was moving quickly. And I thought, well, this would be no problem. I can walk across this. And I stepped in and immediately my my foot was jerked out from under me. Rivers have a lot of power And their flow, they flow in one direction, and people who are in the river will tend to follow the course of the river, even if it leads to a waterfall. Even if it's leading to a waterfall, people will follow the course of the river. It takes great energy to go against the flow. It takes great effort to go against the flow. If you're in a canoe in the river, it's much easier just to sit in the canoe and let the river carry you down 
than it is to say, hey, I need to go upriver, then you're going to have to work, then you're going to have to paddle. In the same way, when we're talking about the world, it takes great energy and effort to go against the flow of the world. But hey, if we're nonconformists, we're made to go against the flow. And if you're a Christian, you're designed by God to go against the flow. In fact, in Christ Jesus, we have the resources to go against the flow. The flow of the river of this world. Now we have these resources in Christ because we are in Christ. And because we're in Christ, according to Paul, we have been crucified to the world. Paul says this in Galatians, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. This means we are dead to the world and we are alive in Jesus Christ. And this means that Jesus has given us freedom from the world and that the world has no power over us unless we give it to the world. We do have freedom in Christ Jesus. We have resources in Christ Jesus that enable us to go against the flow and live in freedom from the powerful force of the world in a way that will please God in Jesus Christ. So let's look at these resources. The first thing is in Christ, we have the ability to discern the world properly. We have the ability to discern the world properly. When you look at the Bible, there's two broad concepts of the world in the Bible. Karen was talking about this in the kids' message. Uh, in a positive way, the world refers to the good universe, including the earth that God has created, for which we are responsible to be good stewards. And also, uh, positively, the world means the world as it is filled with people who have been created in, in God's image and for whom Christ has died. Now, when we read John 3.16, for God so loved the world, doesn't mean he loved sinfulness. It means that he loved the world filled with human beings. God so loved the world. He loved the world that he created. This universe he created. He created it good. He didn't create it perfect. That was on purpose, but he created it good. And he loved the universe and he loves the world. And that's the positive way. And in Christ Jesus, we can discern that positive understanding of the world. You know, when we, when we look around London and we see the tremendous diversity of humanity, and we say, wow, London is the most amazing city on the earth to live in because we see people from all these different cultures and we're all together and there's some aspect of the way that God has created us as human beings to be side by side uh, uh, with all the cultures of the world and interacting and intermingling. That's good. That's good. And we discern that when we go out and, uh, and we go out and, and we enjoy nature. Whether it's rainy like it is today or whether it's sunny and you go out and you enjoy it, you're discerning the goodness, the positive aspect of the world. 
And we need to do that. But there's another aspect of the world. There's a negative aspect of the world. Uh, and you have to look at it in context because the Bible is using the same words. Negatively, the world refers to a powerful and impersonal spiritual reality that manifests whenever people get together. Whenever you've got people gathering together, there is a spiritual dynamic that starts to take place that begins to influence the people that have gathered together. Now this world, this, this spiritual reality is manipulated and controlled both by sin and by the demonic. So when you get a bunch of people together, unless they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they will eventually tend to do things that are sinful. And we've certainly seen that. You've seen that with the COVID-19 situation. And groups, when groups of people are getting together, and at first they all have their masks on, and they're all being careful and, and socially distanced, but eventually what they all do, they rip those masks off and they get face-to-face close to each other, and they say, well, forget it. You know, if we all get sick, we all get sick. And it's not a healthy thing. And that's just talking about the world, this dynamic, in the negative sense. It's influenced by sin, and it's also greatly influenced by the demonic. Demonic spirits can influence people when they get together, and if you want to see how that works, just look on the day that Jesus was crucified and how the whole crowd said, crucify him. Why would they do that? Because the crowd was being inspired in demonic ways. And so that's the negative aspect of the world. Uh, And the only thing that restrains the power of sin and the power of Satan to influence the world is the common grace of God that God has given humanity. God has placed His Spirit in the world and God has given us grace which is the source of all good things that come out of human beings. No matter where they're from, no matter what religion they are, if they do something good, if there's something positive, that's because of God's common grace on all humanity. And that grace restrains the power of sin and the power of Satan to influence the world. But the day will come when the Holy Spirit steps back from that common grace and sin and Satan will have their way with the world. And that's what the Bible calls the tribulation. You know, that's going to happen. So whenever and wherever people gather together, the world manifests itself as this powerful force that influences people towards certain behaviors in conformity with the group that are very often at odds with God's will and God's ways. I hope that makes sense. And the world around us has some very, very powerful, in this negative sense, the world has very powerful influencers. Advertising. Advertising is a big way that the world influences our behavior. Another thing might be social media. I've already referred to that. The power of Twitter, the power of Facebook. I, I hear about some people who, who wither 
under this barrage of negativity on Twitter or Facebook, and I just say, well, turn it off. And yet a lot of people don't. And people have even committed suicide because of the influence, the negative influence in some social media. Uh, You see it in companies like Google, Facebook, Instagram. That's why they want our information. That's why they want our data. So they can influence us more in line with what their advertisers want, in line with what they want, whether or not it's what God wants for humanity. We see this as well in the arts and the entertainment industry. It can be a very powerful force when people use it for good, when Christian men and women are engaging with it, not in you know, just doing Christian music, but actually out there, in there, engaging in it with the freedom in Christ Jesus, but it can be a tremendously negative influence. I mean, one of the things we've seen more and more is how television pushes certain social agendas where you get things that, are, uh, that emerge in storylines on TV and you say, well, there's no reason for that to be there. And yet you understand that it's trying to influence people to say that certain lifestyles are acceptable and others are not. So as Christians in Christ Jesus, Jesus has given us the ability to discern when the world is, is good and when the world is promoting evil. And we must actively discern this all the time. You cannot turn off your antenna, your discernment antenna, when it comes to the world. If you're watching TV, if you're listening to music, if you're on YouTube, wherever you are, you need to discern and discern, yes, this is right before God. This represents the good aspect of the world, according to the Bible. And no, this represents the evil aspect of the world, according to the Bible. That's our first resource in Christ. The second resource in Christ is that in Christ, we have the ability to choose not to love the world or the things in the world. We can choose not to love the world and the things in the world. Now, the love here that John is referring to, the word for love, is the word that many of you know in Greek is called agape, uh, which is that self-giving, self-sacrificial love to somebody else for their benefit. That's the love that Jesus gave us when he set aside his uh, divinity to become born Not that he ceased to be divine, but he set aside the power and prestige of his divinity to be born as a human being. It's the kind of love that we're called to show one another in the covenant of marriage. It's the kind of love that we have in our families. It's the kind of love that we're called to show one another in the church of Jesus Christ. And the problem is so often, as you know, for us as English speakers, that word love covers a lot of different meanings. So I can say I love pizza and I love my wife, but my wife's not a pizza. And so we have to be careful with that. Uh, And what John is saying here is he says, hey, you can choose, guys. Do not love the world or the things in the world. And the reason is that whatever you love ultimately controls you and you will surrender to it. Whatever you love ultimately controls you and you will surrender to it. You know, a parent loves their child. 
And that means the parent will dive out in front of a bus to spare the life of their child. It's instinctive. It's instinctive. Uh, And so you will ultimately give yourself to what you, surrender yourself to what you love. And so John's saying, listen, if you love the world and you love the stuff of the world, that will become the highest value of your life and you'll surrender yourself to it. And even worse, if you actually agape love the world, you cannot agape love the Father. Because, you know, it's like Jesus said, nobody can serve two masters. You'll either love the one and hate the other or despise the one and, and, and love the other. And that's the same is true with the world. You cannot fully love God and love the world and the things in the world. And if you love the world, you might ultimately even desert the cause of Christ temporarily or even permanently. Uh, it's just uh, what Timothy, uh, Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Let me tell you, I have seen this time after time after time. Where people all fall in love with the world and the things of the world, the power, the prestige, the money, whatever it is, they fall in love with the world and the things of the world and they desert Christ. And that's a horrible place to be in. Because if you live your life in the spirit of compromise, it is horribly uncomfortable and miserable. And what happens with a lot of people who fall in love with the world and the things of the world so they start to drift away from Christ? They start feeling miserable and then they blame God because they feel miserable. Like, well, if God really loved me, He wouldn't make me feel this bad. Actually, it's because God loves you that He's letting you feel that bad. Because He knows that if you're straddling the world and the things of God, the kingdom of God, that you cannot live in that existence. You cannot survive that existence. But the good news is, in Christ, you can choose to say, God, Father, I love you. Not the world and the things to the point where I have to give up the world and the things of the world. I will leave the world and the things of the world, but I'll take Jesus. I love that song, Take the World, but Jesus. That has to be our attitude, and we can have that attitude in Christ Jesus. We can have that in Christ Jesus. So that's our second resource. Third, in Christ, we have the ability to resist and reject the things of the world because they do not come from the Father. We can resist and reject the things of the world because they're not coming from the Father. Now, the world wants people to think that it, the world, is the source of what we might call the good life. That if you want wealth, you want riches, you want happiness... All you need to do is give yourself to the world. Follow the course of the world and it will give you the good life. And for a time, following the course of the world might seem like it's giving you the good life until you realize there's the waterfall up ahead. 
I'll never forget the one time I was at Niagara Falls uh, in, in New York in the United States. We walked along a pathway along the river there, and the river was, was a beautiful river, kind of bustling. It wasn't too rapidy. Uh, and you didn't even realize the falls was there until you were about 15, 20 feet away from it. And then all of a sudden it's like, holy cow, who put that hole there? I mean, it was really, really stunning. And that's what happens when you're following the world. And the world says, hey, follow me. I'll give you the good life. But we know as Christians that God our Father is the only source of what is genuinely the good life. It's a good life that begins here, but it continues on into eternity. It starts now, but lasts eternally. And so you've got to choose. Is God going to be your source of the good life? Or is the world going to be your source of the good life? And all the sin, the power of sin that's working in your flesh is going to try to tell you it's the world. And Satan is certainly going to try to tell you it's the world. But history has shown that ultimately God is the source of the good life. And these things that John is talking about here, they do not represent God's good gifts to us or the good life that God intends for us. So what are the things? What are the things of the world that can distort us, distort and and warp uh, and corrupt our body, soul, and spirit? And I think that these three things each refer one to body, one to our soul, one to our spirit. Now, the first thing Paul says, is, uh, uh, John says, excuse me, sorry, John. Uh, John says, is the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh. Now, a lot of times that's just portrayed simply as lust. But if you minimize it as lust, yeah, it's, you've distorted it. It's wrong. So don't just think it's lust. These are desires that arise from our bodies and our physical needs. For example, we all need to eat something. Uh, we don't need, I've learned this personally, we don't need to eat four pies for supper. We can just have a slice of pie. And there's a part of me that would like to eat the whole pie. Uh, we had some friends over on Friday night. We had a lovely dessert, and I didn't want to share it with anybody. But I resisted that urge very difficultly uh, and, you know, and, and the way I resisted it is trying to push the extra pieces onto somebody else. So it, it's helpful. It's a way to do it. Uh, I might be corrupting them, but at least I stayed pure. Uh, you know, that's, <laughs> you know so, so what happens is we all have these physical needs. There's a physical desire for sex. There's a physical desire for many different kinds of things. But if we allow those desires to get out of control and we start to follow those desires, then we're following the desires of the flesh. It's living out of sensuality. It's living out of our senses and saying, I have to please my senses. I have to do what my senses want me to do. I need to follow the impulses that I have. And there's a lot of people who struggle with impulse control. And the world takes advantage of that. It doesn't want us to control our impulses. That's why so many supermarkets put sweeties right near the checkout. Because they're 
taking advantage of your lack of impulse control. That's an influence of the world. Sometimes we react out of fear or out of pleasure. This is the desires of the flesh. Uh, We falsely evaluate what is right or what is wrong based on our physical longings. This is why a lot of people fall into adultery. They think, oh, well, I've got a longing, I've got a physical longing for this other person, so it must mean that it's okay for me to violate my marriage covenant. These are the desires of the flesh, and they affect our physical bodies. But then we also have the desires of the eyes. Now, the desires of the eyes is, is, involves our, our psychological self, our mind, our will, our emotions. You know, we have this saying, the eyes are the windows of the soul. And that's, there's a truth to that. So this is how our psychological desires are stimulated uh, by the world. The desire to satisfy our mind or our curiosity. And sometimes our curiosity can take us down directions we shouldn't go. And we say, well, you know, it's not, it's not a fleshly thing that I'm doing this. I, I want to see what, what it, it looks like for people to do this or, or that thing. And, and uh, you, you notice I'm trying not to be graphic here. Uh, so I'm, I'm allowing you to fill in examples there. Uh, but we, we have this desire to satisfy our mind, our will, our emotions. Now, this is how I feel. I have to, I have to live into it. Uh, the craving to have uh, what we see. And we think, oh, if I only have this, I will be satisfied. But what you see, once you have it, almost never really satisfies you. Or if it does, it's only temporarily. Or the covetousness to want more and more and more. Or allowing a desire to take root and grow so that ultimately it overcomes your will. You think, I need that extra candy bar. I really do need it. I really do. Okay, I might as well buy it. Okay, I'll buy it and I'll eat it later. You see the progression that people go in. It's being captivated by the outward appearance of things and suddenly thinking it's going to be good for us. One of the things that really annoys me, uh, and I hear this a lot of times, it, it's uh, in TV shows, where somebody you know, leaves one person for another one, they say, well, the heart wants what the heart wants. And I say, baloney, discipline your heart. Tell it it can't have it. Because you're just giving in to the desire of the eyes. And then the pride of life. The pride of life refers to our spirit and our spiritual longings. And it's anything that we do to try to satisfy those spiritual longings outside of the one true living God, either with a false God uh, or, or with some substitute. It's trying to find this good life in someone other than God. It's living with a sense of independence that, hey, I can, I can bring myself the good life. I know what's best for me. I know what, what choices I need to make. Uh, and I can be the captain of my own fate there. Having that confidence that you can do uh, what you want to do because uh, who you think you are or what you think you have. Thinking that within yourself, by yourself, is the source of this good life. Now the problem is, the, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life 
they ultimately alienate us from the Father and they inhibit our enjoyment of life as the Father provides it to us. And if you go after these things or any one of them, you become a worldly Christian who will never have a real impact for the kingdom of God. And the problem is there are a lot of worldly Christians out there and a lot of worldly, Christians lead, worldly Christian leaders who have gone after these things. And we must not. Because in Christ, we have the ability to resist and reject them because we know that ultimately they will alienate us from the Father. And the fourth thing here, the fourth resource we have, in Christ, we have the ability to keep the world in its proper perspective. We have the ability to keep the world in its proper perspective. It's verse 17 there. We must remember that the world and all its desires are passing away. The things that I passionately desired when I was 35 are just not important to me anymore. It's amazing. I, I thought some of those things, I thought my life depended on those things. I thought my life depended on having the right house or having the right job or having the right car. I thought my life depended on having the right relationships and, and people approving of me. And this is a challenge when you're a pastor. You know, I thought my life depended on these things. I discovered that many things I've desired in my life that did not come from God, those things are passing away. And as soon as I had the desire, as soon as the desire was fulfilled, I learned that it didn't really meet the needs, the longings that were deep inside of me. That could only be met in Christ Jesus. So the world and its desires are passing away. The world and its desires will almost always, and you have to keep this in mind, they will almost always feel more immediate and demanding than God. Almost always will the world and its desires feel more urgent, feel more immediate, and feel more demanding than doing what is right in relationship with God. And you have to remember that. To keep the world in its proper perspective, you also have to understand that the world is going to punish or persecute those who resist it and those who don't conform. Expect it. The world will punish and persecute those who do not conform. And we're seeing that more and more in terms of Christians. And you can expect to see it more and more. But to keep, in the world, to keep the world in the proper perspective, we need also to remember that those who do the will of God, who love God and do His will, abide, live forever. And so we can keep the world in its proper perspective. We can keep the world in its proper perspective. So what do we do? How do we respond to all these things? Well, we need to understand and we need to live that in Christ, we have the freedom to go against the flow of the world. This is the truth. In Christ, you have the freedom to go against the flow of the world. In Christ, you have the freedom to go against the flow of the world. 
So how do we do that? In light of these resources, how do we put this into play? Number one, we must choose to love God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and people as our highest priority. There is nothing more important than your love for God in Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing. And only second to that is the love that we need to show people. Now, if you want to know what does it mean to love people, it doesn't mean going with the flow of the world. John tells us in chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, you can look at it. John tells us that loving people is doing what God tells us to do. So obeying God is the highest form of love for people. And so if you are not obeying God, you are not loving people, according to John. So we must choose to love God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and people as our highest priority. We also need, second, to distinguish actively, daily, between the world, the universe, our life, the, uh, the, the individually and corporately, uh, as a precious gift from God. We must understand that our world, our relationships, the life that God has given us, is a precious gift from God to be cherished. We should cherish the life that we have. Too much, too many times in the past have Christians been world-denying. We need to be world, in its good sense, affirming. But we also need as well to be distinguishing between that world to be cherished and the world is a spiritual reality that is influencing us away from God. And if you find yourself drifting away from God, that should alert you immediately that the world is influencing you so that you can start to resist that. Third thing here, if we're going to go against the flow, we must embrace and maintain our freedom in Christ by faith. We are all sons of God. We're the bride of Christ. We are free in Christ Jesus from the world, from sin, from the devil. We have freedom over these things in Christ Jesus. And we need to maintain this freedom by walking closely with Jesus, by turning away from our sins, by praying, by disciplining ourselves. We walk in this freedom if we're going to go against the flow. And then the final thing, on a daily basis, if we're going to go against the flow of the world, I believe that we must enjoy our lives fully as God's gift. We must enjoy our lives fully as God's gift. As, God's gift. as, as Timothy says in 1 Timothy 6, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now many times... Jesus said, well, God richly provides us everything for mission. Well, that could be true. God richly provides us everything for evangelism. Certainly evangelism is important. God richly provides us with everything so we can give it all to the church. Well, certainly giving is important. But we must not forget, and this is what Solomon was telling us, we must not forget that God has given us life to enjoy. And the things that we have in our lives, the, the, the things that God has given us, 
We are called to enjoy these things. We are to enjoy our relationships. We need to enjoy our work. And by work or toil, we're not talking about your nine-to-five job, although it can include that. We're talking about all the good things, all the things that you do interacting with other people in the world. All the stuff that God's put before you. You enjoy your work, not just your job. It means, thank God, that we enjoy our food. I like that part. But that's what the Bible says to do. It means that we enjoy our wealth. Now, you might think, not think of yourself as wealthy, but as we've talked about here, if you have food, clothes, and shelter, and a little bit more, you're wealthy. And God's told us, enjoy that. We need to enjoy our lives fully as the precious gift of God that they are. And as we enjoy the life that God has given, that empowers us to resist the lies of the world about what the good life is according to the world. Let me tell you, seeing Christians enjoy life in the freedom of, in, in Christ, I think it's one of the greatest testimonies that we can give. The world needs to see Christians who do not conform to the world who go against the flow, but who also enjoy life. They're not mean-spirited, but they're generous. They're not grumpy, but they're joyful. The world needs to see this. And the world does not need to see us straddle the reality of the church in the world. Few things do such damage to the cause of Christ than people who are trying to live in the world as well as live in the kingdom of God. And the world sees that and they recognize it. And that's why so many people have turned away from so many things to do with Jesus. So it's time for us to dive into the different that God has for us by becoming Christians in Christ Jesus who go against the flow of this world so that we can show the world what the good life in Christ Jesus is all about. Let's pray. Lord God, you're such an amazing God, and we thank you and praise you. Father, I pray that you would show each of us how perhaps we have given in to the world in our lives and also how we can resist the world more effectively and more fruitfully. Lord, give each of us clear discernment so that we can recognize what's good in the world around us and distinguish it from what is evil in the world around us. And help us, Lord, be people who are willing, like Jesus, to embrace the pain of going against the flow, even if it means a crucifixion. Because we know that the crucifixion always leads to resurrection. Lord, let your grace and mercy rest upon us. Empower us, strengthen us, encourage us all through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Now, Father, I pray that as we go to the Lord's Supper now, 
that you would bless the bread and bless the cup, that they might be for us truly the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken and shed on the cross. As we celebrate this Lord's Supper, Lord, remind us of our union with Christ Jesus. And remind us how in union with Christ Jesus, we too have overcome the world. Renew our faith by the power of your Holy Spirit as we celebrate this Lord's Supper and draw us closer to you and to one another, no matter where we are and no matter how we're celebrating this time. We love you, we worship you, and we adore you. And we pray all these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite uh, Olashina and Cook, if you guys would come up. No, Olashina and Fadi. Fadi.